Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Vol GM podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sororis. I hope people were able to make heads or tails of what I talked about on yesterday's episode, where I talked about the college football landscape evolving, what the alliance between the ACC, Pac-12, and Big Ten means going forward, that they're going to probably operate as a voting block, similar to how a caucus would operate in American Congress to invent advance that group of conferences interests in direct contrast to the sec not there won't be formal rivals the alliance and the sec but that that's the play here for the alliance is to be able to have some weight and be able to stand up to what the sec might do down the road in terms of television rights or maybe reconvening the playoff format and a number of other things but today's episode is also football centric don't worry as i said yesterday at the end of the show we're getting to that point in the year now where it's football football's not quite in the air yet we haven't had that first crisp 60 degree day with a little bit of a breeze we haven't had that yet it's coming not too far from now it is the end of august still kind of hot but Football is in the air for people like me because I've been glued to my phone, reading training camp reports, reading as many different things, listening to as many podcasts as I can in preparation for the season and in preparation for my fantasy draft. So I I, I felt it was about time to talk about the Giants. I wrote a blog, a little bit more condensed version of this episode. Should be up on Gotham SN by the time you're listening to this if you want to read it a little bit more briefly. But in a nutshell... The Giants are going to come out ahead of where they were going into the 2021 season. No matter what, they will always, always be better off going into next season than they were coming into this season. I'm going to tell you why. But before we get there, and yeah, you see what I did there? I did the cowherd. I I did the tease to keep you listening. So before we get there, do have to remind everyone to help support the show. Can signal boost the show on social media, whatever platform you see it on, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, wherever you see it, signal boost it so other people can find it. Next, if you're doing that, you probably are already subscribed to the show, but if this is your first episode listening, please subscribe to the show's feed on whatever podcasting platform you use. If you are using an Apple device, because Apple controls the world, that's okay, I know it's not your fault, If you are using an Apple device, please go to the show's page. Scroll past the recent episodes. There are going to be five clear purple stars at the bottom. You're going to want to hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review, which helps. And underneath that is a button that says write a review. It has purple letters. Hit that. Leave a few words of encouragement. Support your content creators. Any podcast you're subscribed to, leave reviews. That helps your content creators out immensely. Helps the possibility of the show charting so more people are able to find it and we can slowly but surely expand the show now i'm not going i'm going to make a few declarations before we get into today's episode so we keep some ground rules number one i will not relitigate the saquon barkley pick i will not relitigate the daniel jones pick okay that's the baseline of this episode and in the background so if you're curious why i don't mention the 2018 and 2019 drafts that's why I'm going to say that it's over with at this point where it's over, but where the giants are going is the question mark. We're going to try and solve this season in a 17 game season with a pretty difficult schedule in all reality. So the giants win total coming into this season, seven 
wins when I looked it up before. Those odds were, I believe, from Caesars, but I'm not positive. I looked up the, I, I did a Google search. The CBS Sports blog was the first one on the top, and seven wins was the Giants' win total. A total that is less than all but one, two, three of their regular season opponents this year. So the odds makers are not expecting a ton from the Giants this year. And in reality, I don't think a lot of Giant fans are, to be honest. But I will say I'm getting a tiny bit of optimism. See you guys on the other side of the drop. We're going to talk a little New York football Giants. It's really playing at a high level, and I think inspired by playing against Jamal Adams. On third down, Wilson under pressure, and Leonard Williams comes up clutch with a sack back in Seattle territory. With that, we will get on to it. So like I said in the introduction, the Giants' win total is seven, meaning if the Giants were to win more than seven games, you would win money if you bet the over. Under seven wins, you would win money if you bet the under. So that tells you a few things. Number one, they're, the odds makers are expecting the Giants to finish under 500 for the seventh straight season, the sixth straight season now. Excuse me. Last time the Giants made the playoffs, 2016, the year with the really good defense, the pros, the free agent spending spree that went crazy. Damon Snacks Harrison, um, Janoris Jenkins, that group of guys the Giants brought in to kind of hold off the forces of Eli's aging curve for one more season they make it to the playoffs they have the boat picture and it's been downhill ever since and I'm skipping over the drafts we're not going to talk about the drafts we're going to talk about the Giants this season coming up so when we talk about the team looking ahead we got to go off what we know so far about the talent they have in-house past performance is not a guarantee of what a player will do going forward but you and once you get enough of a sample size about players, you can begin to make a determination. And the most important determination the Giants have to make this year is Daniel Jones and the future. Because pretty soon, he will be eligible for that next extension after his entry contract. The Giants are going into year three of Daniel Jones. And then they have next year under team control. And the fifth year option in two years from now if the Giants wanted to retain Jones' services. And as of now, I feel pretty confident in saying Daniel Jones has a really low ceiling in terms of NFL quarterbacks. He probably can be a serviceable backup if you give him a couple starts here and there, if your starter's injured, or if you're a rebuilding team and you need to stop back a stop-gap quarterback. I think Daniel Jones would be fine. But if you are a team that has legitimate Super Bowl aspirations, I do not think Jones has the inherent ability to make his teammates better. And we've kind of seen a pattern develop here over the recent NFL history where you need to be able to elevate the game of the players around you to make serious runs. And we've seen it because the, the most glaring example, obviously this is a bit of a cookie cutter outlier, like way too obvious, but... Look at the difference in the Buccaneers with Tom Brady versus Jameis Winston the year before. And yes, the defense was significantly better with Brady as opposed to the year with Winston, but Brady made his teammates' lives easier. Mike Evans, B 
beast in the red zone. Something like 10 touchdowns in the red zone. Chris Godwin, very good season when he was able to stay on the field. Gronkowski, out of retirement, serviceable tight end. Probably better off being in a two tight end or three tight end rotation so you don't burn him as much. But if you can elevate your teammates, that helps a lot because in football, quarterback is the most important position. And that's the baseline here. When you're building a team, if you don't have a quarterback, you can't be competitive. Look at what the Broncos have. Look at what the Washington football team has. Look what the Carolina Panthers have. Look what the New Orleans Saints have. There are so many examples of teams with pretty talented rosters and then either a question mark at quarterback or someone with a low ceiling at quarterback. And when I say low ceiling, I mean the best case scenario for them is an 8-9 win season because they're not going to be able to do anything to help their team win. They're going to be able to take what's in front of them. And there is something to be said for the Teddy Bridgewaters, Ryan Fitzpatrick's, Kirk Cousins of the world that... They don't make any of the special plays, but they can make all the easy plays. There is something to be said for that. That's better than the alternative of having someone who can't make any plays. And there are guys who get NFL starts who cannot make any plays, who are only there because of college pedigree or what have you. So the Giants need to figure out Jones because you look at the difference between his statistics year one and year two, and I understand they switched offenses. He didn't have a real preseason in year one of Jason Garrett, and Jason Garrett's a whole other story, another part of this story, the limitations of a Jason Garrett offense. But Jones started third. Jones got into thirteen games in twenty nineteen. 2020, 14 starts. He missed two games last year. He he did not start three his rookie season. So looking at the numbers, as a rookie, 3,027 passing yards, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 279 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, 18 fumbles. Year number two, 2,900 yards, 11 touchdowns, 10 picks, 420 rushing yards, 11 fumbles. So the Giants defanged Jones. They tried to help him reduce the turnovers. They made the offense less risk-taking and made it more conservative, tried to not make Jones do too much, and the Giants' offense was horrendous last year. There's no other way to say it. The team only averaged 17.3 points a game, 31st, 31st in the entire NFL. As a reminder, there are only 32 teams in the NFL. The only team worse than the Giants last year in terms of point scoring Adam Gase's New York Jets. That's the bar here. The Giants scored less than 20 points a game in the most offensive-centric era of NFL history. And the bar is not that high here. You can be a playoff team averaging 20-ish, 21 points a game. Uh, The Rams last year, 21 points a game. So you don't have to make that dramatic of a leap here if you're Daniel Jones in year number three to help elevate this team because... The bones of an okay team are here. And we'll talk a little bit about the big picture towards the end of the show and the direction of the team, but the reason I have some confidence coming into this season and why I said in the introduction, no matter what, the Giants will be ahead of where they were coming into the season, either Daniel Jones proves himself and has a breakout year three. It doesn't have to be Josh Allen put himself in the MVP discussion good. He's got to be, you know... Kirk Cousins good, and he's got to be Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford levels of production, Matt Ryan levels of production. Or, if he stinks, you have your first-round pick, and you have the first-round pick of the Chicago Bears. And I don't know if you out there have been keeping tabs on the Chicago Bears, but that team looks like a dumpster fire waiting to happen with Andy Dalton supposedly going to be the week one starter. 
no offensive lineman to speak of, a head coach who knows his head is on the chopping block. The Giants will have a first-round pick in the top 15 and wherever their own pick is. And I'm not expecting the Giants to be particularly good this year, even if, like, best-case scenario, like, absolute peak best-case scenario they get breaks is 9-10 wins this year. Like, absolute best-case. Nine wins probably get you in the late teens of the draft, somewhere like 18-17. So if you have that with a Bears pick that's, like, 11 or high or better you could move up to into that top 10 to get a Sam Howell to get a JT Daniels to get a Spencer Rattler and then again the Giants won't take Spencer Rattler they've had one black quarterback in 60 years 70 years of history and it was Geno Smith for one week when Ben McAdoo was trying to desperately save his job but you understand my point and on top of that if Jones goes that means Dave Gettleman goes and Anybody who's ever listened to me talk about the Giants knows how much I despise Dave Gettleman and his backward caveman thinking style of team building. The Giants, he came in as general manager and sold the Maras a bill of false goods. He told them, all we need is one or two things and we can be a playoff team. No team in the NFL has fewer wins since Dave Gettleman became general manager of the Giants than the Giants. And that includes the Browns, who went 0-16 and 1-15 and in the same window. That happened in the time Dave Gettleman was hired as Giants general manager. That is how bad of a what team we are talking about here. The Giants have been putrid for years now, with no NFL talent to speak of. A roster littered with mid-round picks, practice squad rejects, and bones of other teams. Trading for Alec Ogletree, bringing in Brandon Marshall. Just over the years, the Giants and their foolhardy experiments, signing Nate Solder, giving such ridiculous extensions, trying to play with Eli, going into the 2019 season and saying Eli was our starter. At some point, it had to occur to Gettleman that his way wasn't working, and he's throwing shit at the wall now. The team has NFL talent. Granted, they are overpaying dramatically for that NFL talent. Kenny Galladay, Leonard Williams, Adoree Jackson, Logan Ryan, James Bradbury, all those guys are getting paid more than they're worth. And I say that as someone who thinks Bradbury is a top five corner in the NFL. He's probably getting a little bit too much money in terms of the value a number one defensive back provides. And I say that full well knowing that Bradbury was the driving force on a defense. It was the only reason the Giants had a pulse last season. If the Giants had just an average defense, let alone a bad one, they win three games. But they stayed in the mix all year last year because they had a top 10 defense in terms of points allowed. They finished 10th? Yes, 10th. 22.3 points per game against. And that was enough to keep the Giants around in enough games. And... That will be the recipe for the Giants again this upcoming season. It's going to be a defense and smokescreens team again unless Daniel Jones makes that leap. Because looking at the talent, the offense has the potential to be halfway decent. The skill position guys, Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley, those are pretty decent skill position guys. The offensive line is still probably going to be bad, just realistically speaking, going across Andrew Thomas, Shane Lemieux, Nick Gates, Matt Pert, uh, and uh, Will Hernandez, of course. Not 
inspiring a whole lot of confidence in that offensive line. Andrew Thomas, extremely inconsistent. Nick Gates, year two of learning how to play center. Shane Lemieux, pretty rough in pass protection, okay in running protection. Matt Pert, all I know about Matt Pert, short arms, do not make good offensive linemen. There are exceptions, but he's a pro- he was a project when they took him in the third round, and it seems like a tall order to ask a third-round pick two years in to play right tackle at the NFL level with Matt Pert's body type. He probably will end up having to kick inside to guard at some point. That's where the Giants are at. Uh, they will go as far as their offense can scrape together. And I say, I know that sounds contrary to what we would typically say. We typically say they'll go as far as their defense can carry them. We saw what happens when you try and rely only on defense to win games. You get dotted up eventually. You play too much defense, your defense gets tired, and eventually the other team gets to score some points. We saw the Browns surgically dissect that Giants defense, and the Giants mustered up all of six points against the Browns in that game. And Browns didn't have a particularly good defense last year. And the Giants have more or less run out of time with Daniel Jones because year three, if he doesn't make the leap, you have two first-round picks going into this year's draft. You gotta move on, whether it's Sam Howell or whomever to take there. You gotta do it. And the assumption is if the Giants miss the playoffs this year, Gettleman will get fired. A new general manager comes in. He probably fires Joe Judge because he wants his own guy. They move on from Daniel Jones because that team wants his own... The general manager wants his own quarterback as well as his own head coach. And you're not back to square one... But you are going to have to take a step back using a rookie quarterback in, especially considering you need to upgrade that offensive line. And if the offense falters this year, the safe assumption is it's going to be because the offensive line can't pass protect to save its life. And that's not even, we haven't even gotten into the limitations of a Jason Garrett offense where, yeah, the Giants tried to make it more basic and conservative so Jones wouldn't turn the ball over as much. Yeah, he had five feet, he had... Two fewer interceptions, 13 fewer touchdowns, seven fewer rush fumbles. For that, you're better off letting him try and do the stupid things down the field that might result in interceptions, because if you don't score enough, you're not going to win. I talk about this in every single sport I talk about on the podcast. It doesn't matter how good your defense is. It is impossible to win a game 0-0. Eventually, you will need to be able to score points. Football is no different. I talked about it on the show yesterday when I was breaking down college football and why certain programs have jumped ahead in this era. Penn State's never going to be able to beat Ohio State with any real consistency because they don't have a modern offense. They don't run enough dynamic plays to get the ball into the hands of playmakers so those guys can make plays. There's not enough dynamic ability in the Giants' offense. Streaks and jump balls to Darius Slayton and Kenny Galladay are going to get tiring very quickly. Last season, all of the Giants' big plays were designed for Evan Ingram because Saquon Barkley was hurt. Now, it is important we do talk about Saquon a little bit because the Giants are building their team around him. I know we say it's about the quarterback. I've spent the previous five minutes or so talking about Daniel Jones. The Giants drafted Saquon Barkley number two overall with the intention of making him what Ezekiel Elliott was for the Cowboys before Dak really blossomed into the polished player he is now. And I do not know if the way Saquon plays running back 
is going to work that way because Zeke, when Zeke was at his best early in his career in Dallas before he got his extension, he was running between the tackles behind a quality offensive line that featured multiple pro bowlers. He had easy runs to get chunk plays to set up Dak for success. Giants offensive line can't block for shit. And Saquon likes to dance in the backfield. And I say that as someone who has an appreciation for Saquon's game. One of the more explosive college football players of the last decade. One of the best college football players of the last decade, if we're being honest. But the way he plays running back behind a bad offensive line will lose the Giants football games. At some point, you need to accept, okay, it's fine. I'll get tackled at the line of scrimmage for no gain as opposed to lose four yards because I'm trying to dance behind the line. And it always gets back to how you want to build your team and how you value certain positions. Running backs are products of scheme and blocking. The talent matters, but it does not matter as much at other positions. You need a talented quarterback to be successful. You can get to the Super Bowl with a fifth-round pick running back pretty, pretty easily. You can get to the Super Bowl with a running back you get late in the draft, in free agency, off the scrap heap. Buccaneers did it with Leonard Fournette. They drafted Ronald Jones in, I believe, the third round. You can be fine with less talented players if you have good scheme and good blocking. The Giants have bad scheme, bad blocking, and a talented running back. And it doesn't really matter how talented of a running back Saquon is. He's going to have some ugly stat lines this year. He's going to have some 11 carries for 41 yards if he doesn't break any off. Because of the nature of his game. He's a home run hitter running back where if he does not have the big play, his stat line is going to look ugly. And yes, having Jones in the, uh, excuse me, having Barkley in the passing game for Daniel Jones will help. I mean, Barkley's last fully healthy season, I mean, he played 16 games as a rookie and hasn't played 16 games since. 91 catches as a rookie with the corpse of Eli Manning at quarterback. So there is a world in which Barkley's role in the passing game at least helps keep him part of the offense even if he can't run the ball particularly well and that's a tool for the offense to have if you can't block well if you're having a hard time blocking a well-executed screen to take some pressure off of the offensive line again you just run halfback slip screen and the blitz will be rendered toothless because there's nowhere the ball's gone already by the time the play develop by the time the pass rushers get to the quarterback because the offensive line vacated to block the ball's already out of the quarterback's hands, and if you can get the ball to Saquon in space, he's really hard to tackle one-on-one. He can make people miss one-on-one. It's when he gets into the backfield off a handoff, and he's dancing around, he's trying to juke people out, and he loses three yards. Remember week one of the regular season of 2020 on Monday Night Football, where he had, I think, eight yards rushing, seven yards rushing at halftime on, like, ten carries because the Steelers were just overwhelming the Giants' offensive line? That's the kind of thing we're dealing with here. If Barkley does not have good scheme or good blocking, he's not going to be that good. And that's in spite of how talented he is because we all know how talented he is. We saw him in college be the most dynamic non-quarterback in all of college football for the better part of three seasons, be a Heisman runner-up a couple times. That is what is so frustrating here. The Giants set Barkley up for failure by not building an offensive line and having bad scheme. If the Giants can get the scheme part of it rectified, maybe you can survive the bad offensive line. But I'm pretty I, I'm pretty sure at this point in my life, I understand good and bad offense when I see it. And 
Jason Garrett hasn't had a good offense at the NFL level in a while. Maybe since Dak's rookie year when that team's offense was so stacked, they were able to block like crazy. Zeke was able to eat. Dak wasn't asked to do too much. Dak was able to use his legs a little bit. And that's something I want to see the Giants do more. I want to see Jones using his legs more, especially in the red zone where the Giants have had such a hard time the last few years. I know they brought in Kyle Rudolph, the tight end from Minnesota, as a free agent. I want to see Jones running the ball down in the red zone when no one's open because we know he's athletic and we know he can make plays with his legs. And that might be the path to him being successful at this level is being able to use his legs to make plays that a pocket passer with his passing ability wouldn't be able to. That is something I need to see the Giants look to incorporate more, especially in the red zone as a team that struggles to score points. Big picture-wise... The expectation for the Giants here is to be in the mix to win the NFC East. And I wrote about it. I've talked about it a lot this summer. The Giants have no shot at making a wild card this year because of the rest of the NFC. So you have to assume the three teams in the that don't win the NFC West. So the four teams out there, Seattle, the 49ers, the Rams, and the Cardinals, all have an expectation of making the playoffs this year. If the Cardinals can actually make that leap with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, we got to find out. But there's a realistic assumption here that all four of those teams are going to be in the mix for a playoff spot, meaning the wild card. And all four of those teams have win totals in the ballpark of 10. Some a little bit less than others. I mean, Arizona, I think, was at 8 when I looked. But all of those teams are expected to at least be 500. So there's not going to be any 9 and 7 wild excuse me 9 and 7 10 and 7 wild card winners this year. Probably going to need at least 11 wins to get a wild card. We haven't mentioned New Orleans with Jameis Winston where if Jameis Winston is the starter, New Orleans can quite easily win a wild card, finishing second in the South behind Tom Brady and I don't want to count out the Vikings just yet because I think Don Zimmer Don Zimmer, Mike Zimmer, I keep doing that every time I talk about the Vikings. I refer to their head coach, Mike Zimmer, as Don Zimmer, the old Yankee bench coach and Brooklyn Dodger. But I think Mike Zimmer is a decent football coach, and if he has a halfway decent defense, the offense has the potential to be good if Kirk Cousins can, you know, not get COVID because the dumb fuck won't get vaccinated. So you're in. if you really want to be in the mix for a wild card, you're going to need at least 10 wins. And I don't see 10 wins on the Giants' schedule, which leads me to you need to be winning the division. So we saw it last year. Washington won the division at, I believe, 8-8 eight and eight going into that second to last week of the season. Then the Giants got Nate Sudfelded by the Eagles. Oh, well, sucks to suck. But if the Giants are to make the playoffs, it's going to be by winning the NFC East. And this is where I think the optimism in my heart is coming from about the Giants for the first time in a number of years. No one in the rest of the division is good. I think the Eagles are going to be pretty bad. I think the Eagles are a five-win team with Jalen Hurts, maybe a six-win team. Their win total is seven. Washington is going to try and rely on Fitzmagic for an entire season, which never goes well. Fitzmagic is great for eight games or less. You rely on him for anything more than that, and just ask Jet fans how that went for them. Dallas has no defense to speak of. I know they drafted Mika Parsons. I know they brought in Dan Quinn to be the defensive coordinator. They have no defense to speak of. The J- Dallas will need to score 35 points a week. With And granted, if Dak is healthy, the Cowboys can very easily score 35 points a week. The man was on pace for 6,000 passing yards last year before he got his leg broken against the Giants. 
but they still can't stop anyone. So against a truly elite team, Dallas won't be able to move the ball as well. And one turnover, one four and out, three and out, excuse me, they're cooked because their defense can't stop anyone. That is why I have optimism. Not anything that the Giants have done. I mean, yes, they brought in Kenny Galladay. They brought in Adoree Jackson. I'm confident because I don't think the other teams in the division are that good. And that that is something you can rely on. We've seen for a number of years now this NFC East kind of be a dumpster fire where someone's gotten hurt. Teams just don't have that good of a team to begin with. And it makes things a little bit more feasible for them. So looking at the Giants' schedule, do I see 10 wins on here? No. I'll, I'll, be, quite, I'll be quite honest with you. I don't see 10 wins on the Giants' schedule. They open with Denver. They go to the football team. Atlanta at MetLife, at New Orleans, at Dallas, the Rams, Carolina at MetLife, the Chiefs at Arrowhead, Vegas at MetLife, and the bye week. At the bye week, the Giants might have three wins if they're lucky, and that's if they can beat Denver, Washington, and Carolina. Um, that'd be generously giving them three wins because I don't think Washington will be as much of a slam dunk as it's been in recent history. They can beat Atlanta, but I think Atlanta will still be able to score some points, which is the problem. So realistically, you're looking at four and six, something in that ballpark. If you can win against Washington, Carolina, Denver, that's three going into week 10. So you're looking at three and six. Unless you, if you can beat Dallas, okay, you're at four and five. If you're at four and five at your bye week, you have a chance. But it's not a great chance because down the backstretch, you have to go to Tampa Bay, you have to go to the Chargers, and you have to go to Miami. And you have to go to Chicago at the end of December. None of those are picnics, and I don't think the Bears are going to be good this year. It's still Chicago in December. It's going to be fucking cold. It's going to be difficult for the Giants to do well there. I mean, we saw what happened when the Giants played the Bears last year. Miserable offensive day for the Giants. So, I think... The Giants are probably going to end up in that soggy middle again, somewhere in the ballpark of six or seven wins, maybe seven and ten. They're going to be relying on the other teams in their division to fuck up. That is realistically where the Giants are at. The last thing I want to touch on here before I let you guys go, I do have questions about the Giants' ceiling as they're being constructed. The majority of the Giants' salary cap is tied up in Leonard Williams, Kenny Galladay, James Bradbury, Saquon Barkley. I do not think a team with that as the core has a Super Bowl championship-level ceiling. Granted, maybe they get a quarterback in next year's draft. They get a Sam Howell, and Sam Howell is great, and he elevates the talent around him, and they're able to use that rookie contract, that rookie contract cap space to maintain, but... Realistically speaking, I do not think this team is talented enough, even if everybody lives up to expectations, to win a Super Bowl. I don't think Daniel Jones, if Daniel Jones reaches his absolute peak, it's Ryan Tannehill. Like, if Daniel Jones pops, I think the most you can expect of him is what the Titans expect of Ryan Tannehill. I don't think Leonard Williams is a bona fide leader of a pass rush. James Bradbury can be a number one corner on a Super Bowl team. I will say that. And the Giants are going to give Saquon Barkley a, a gross extension that's going to make me sick because running backs, like we discussed, are products of scheme and blocking as opposed to pure talent. If it was about pure talent, Saquon would be a no doubt about her to give an extension to. 
But I just don't think the way the Giants are spending their cap space is efficient and it's going to lead to big picture success. And that's the thing here. I understand wanting to progress along the path here of, okay, we picked in the top five of the draft two years in a row. We picked sixth one year. We almost made the playoffs because of a bad division. And now we're coming into what this season is going to be a playoffs or close to playoffs or bust season. And at some point, the expectations have to be raised here. At some point, the expectation needs to be the Giants, not just the Giants are going to make the playoffs. It needs to be the Giants can win two games in the playoffs. And if you can get to the NFC title game, anything can happen. That is a long ways away because the core of this team is not good enough to compete with the San Francisco's, the Rams, Tampa, Green Bay. We saw Green Bay run the Giants off of the field in Lambeau in that last playoff game. I don't think the Giants are that much better than they were that given day when they lost to Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau. I don't think the Giants have made a big enough step to get back to contender status. And I know contender status isn't the goal this year, but remember what we just talked about. They have to decide on giving Saquon Barkley an extension, and they have to decide on drafting a new quarterback. If you have to draft a new quarterback, you're starting over again. Your expectation, again, is going to be six or seven wins because you don't know what you're going to get from the most important position on your team. That is the the glass-half-empty side of things for the Giants here. They are very easily back on the precipice of being an irrelevant team that's picking in the top five of the draft again. They are looking at that abyss if the offense cannot make meaningful strides. And I'll be honest, I don't think Jones is that good. I don't think Jones is that good. I don't think Jason Garrett is a good enough coordinator to scheme up an offense to make his life easier, to get the most out of him. That's something Tennessee has done masterfully with Ryan Tannehill. They have put him in a position to succeed. What Gary Kubiak did with Kirk Cousins the last two years up in Minnesota, that was maximizing a guy's talent and understanding his limitations. The Giants understand Jones's limitations, and they just don't have any dyna- dynamic plays. I keep going to try and say, like, dynastic, but that's not the right word. Dynamic plays on offense that they can rely on. They have no bread-and-butter plays to build their offense out from. It really does seem like battleship football. And I'm cribbing that term from Michael Lombardi the former New England Patriot assistant general manager. He's a writer now. He's a talk show person, does podcasts, all that stuff. He, a football person through and through, was the general manager of the Browns the season they went 0-16. He traded the fir- Trent Richardson. He traded a first-round pick. For, excuse me. He traded Trent Richardson for a first-round pick and then used the first-round pick, I believe, on Barkevius Mingo. But going back, Lombardi calls it battleship football when you don't have any plays you can rely on as a baseline of your team. You're guessing based on what the other team is doing to try and do something. Like the ba- the board game battleship, you know, where you have the little pallet thing that opens up. You put the little ships out on the board and you're just guessing what's going to work because you don't know what's going to work. Good offensive coordinators and good play callers know what they're going to call works. The Giants don't have that right now. That is the source of most of my concerns about the team this year. Because even if the offensive line is mediocre, I think a halfway decent coordinator could do something with all these skilled position guys. 
So I, I think I've given a pretty fair assessment of the state of the Giants here. I've given you the best case scenario, the worst case scenario, what they need to go their way, why I think even if things go their way, they still aren't going to be that particularly good of a football team. Granted, there are a bunch of caveats here. Maybe Jason Garrett sees the light and understands where offense is going. Maybe Daniel Jones has the Josh Allen MVP type season. Maybe Saquon Barkley turns into, I don't know, 2011 Adrian Peterson. Something in that realm. Maybe Kenny Galladay has an insane Plaxico Burris-esque season. That is the thing, though. The Giants hope other teams plan. Teams like the 49ers coming off of a bad season like last year, they planned to eliminate those problems. They got some new offensive linemen in there. They drafted Trey Lance. They got their defense healthy. And they expect to be a contender in one year. Granted, they went from picking 11th overall and traded up to pick third. But, but, they have a plan. The Giants are hoping. With all of that said, I think that's just about all the time I'm going to have for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you are a fellow Giant fan, I guess let's go Giants. Maybe. Eh, I guess. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Maybe. I got to see what the schedule is looking like. I'm going to the Met game. going to see them get smoked by the Giants probably. Might record an episode before I go to the game. Maybe when I get back. It all depends. If we do do an episode for Friday probably going to be another football-centric episode because I kind of got the itch now last two days talking about it. Got to spend the weekend doing my research, getting prepared, do some real in-depth previews next week. Going to try and get some good guests for next week. I got a few in mind. Got to get some feelers out, get availability and schedules lined up, that kind of thing. I will see you guys tomorrow. Have a good one.